Welcome to Navigating Lyme Disease for Patients and Doctors with Dr. Daniel Cameron. Dr. Cameron, thanks for doing this third episode where we'll be focusing almost exclusively on children with Lyme. Thanks for being here. It's always a pleasure to work with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. What we're going to do is go back just a little bit. From episode two, we talked about pans and pandas. Uh, a couple of terms that are very common in use for uh, children who have issues uh, with Lyme and other diseases. Isn't that correct? Yes. Where we left off with that was really uh, touching on issues that children have. And since we're going to be focusing on children today, uh, what I wanted to do is wrap up with the seven-year-old girl's case study from the end of chapter two. And what I want to talk with you a little bit about is how intense the symptoms were that this little girl went through and how debilitating it was and how she was able to come through it on the other end. So can you talk just a little bit, give everybody an overview of the seven-year-old child who presents with uh, Lyme disease? Yeah, this was a, um, a case that was published by Cross and colleagues in 2021. So I, th I thought it did a great job of really highlighting um, the challenges that a mom has and a doctor has it at recognizing pandas and Lyme disease. Because they started out with a seven-year-old girl who had physical and neuropsych issues uh, after going to a tick area. Now, this was six months later. So they treated her at the time for a a series of strep infections. And it's pretty much known um, that some people with strep seem to get uh, neuropsych issues, neuro issues, uh, and so they've been talking about maybe they'll get OCD, uh, they'll get ticks, and uh, with the range of symptoms they're getting, they decided to call it pediatric autoimmune neuropsychiatric disorder. I'll break that down. It's pediatric because that's where they first recognize it. It seems to be related to the immune system, so they call it autoimmune. And it's neuropsych, that's the end, because it affects the neurologic issues, but you see it more on the psych side. And it's associated with strep, that's the AS at the end. But over time, you know, they, they decide, well, why don't they give... Uh, treatment for strep, and that'll take care of it. Uh, but there's plenty of kids that weren't getting better. Uh, um, even though they got amoxicillin, they thought, well, maybe they have to use IVIG, intravenous immune globulin. But since the, uh, often the child would get better with the treatment for strep, is that instead of going to the intravenous immune globulin, why not go back and treat the strep again? So to make things more complicated is that so many of the people who had pandas happen to have a lot of evidence for Lyme disease and tick-borne illnesses at the same time. So they, uh, they realized, well, if you treat the Lyme, the pandas would clear up instead of going to the IVIG. <laughs> now, this is the NIMH, National Institute of Mental Health had thought it was going to be okay to work with autoimmune issues, but it seemed as if um, they were onto something with 
other illnesses producing the same thing. So they changed the name to PANS. Uh, so he didn't need to have his uh, associated with strep. It's still neuropsych, it's still pediatrics. And so that's, uh, since that child was still sick after treatment for um, for uh, these uh, strep infections, they looked past pandas and said, well, what else is going on? And that's, uh, that's uh, the dilemma we all have in medicine and parents have what to do with these children that don't exactly fit pandas, they don't exactly fit strep. Maybe they might not even have evidence of strep. One of the things that really surprised me about this is that these were some of the symptoms that this seven-year-old presented with. Obsessions, compulsions, ADHD-like behavior, a decline in schoolwork, separation anxiety from separating from mom or dad, I imagine, uh, panic, panic attacks, muscle joint pain, mood lability, aggressive behavior, fatigue, headaches, difficulty sleeping. One of the things that really surprises me about this, and I almost feel like through these episodes, that one of the real giveaways that Lyme may be an issue is just how broad the symptoms are. Is that is that ring true? Yeah, I think they they first design, designed um, ticks, uh, Tourette's, uh, OCD because they were looking for something they thought might be unique. But there's uh, such a broad range of neuropsychiatric problems, and so on that whole list that you were going through, which the authors described, is. It overlaps so much with Lyme disease, overlaps so much with tick-borne, also overlaps with anxiety itself, you know, so that people end up going to doctors and sometimes the doctor will send them to psychiatry first. Or they're having educational problems, so they'll send them to uh, someone to get neuropsych testing. And so even though we look at Lyme, is that it the issue became much broader than just the obsessive, compulsive, uh, and tick type things. And that's why that list gets pretty impressive. And that's that list is often broader when you sit there with a child. This is a seven-year-old with present with this. But every child can have quite a few of these issues. And it's really, um, when you talk with the, with the, the doctor, is that they'll often stop at two or three of these. But if they ask a little... Further, there's an awful lot on that parent's mind and the child's mind. One of the things that's in the article that you're quoting in the book is the child says, Mom, something happened to my brain. And then the doctor goes on to say the patient regressed from being a year ahead in math to being unable to add beyond the number 10. She struggled to comprehend difficult reading during a ride home with her mother she asked her mom who she was, what's your name again, and I know you're my mommy, but what's your name? It is just mind-boggling to me that this can have this level of impact on a child and that it's treatable. <laughs> the part that just, you think that, that as a parent, I imagine you would be so lost in what to do and not think that, oh, this could be something that's treatable because of a disease that my child has. 
Well, I think that uh, that when it comes to um, a seven-year-old, it's hard to imagine. It's easy for them to get caught up with ADHD-type issues uh, or behavioral issues, those type of things. So this is pretty common that a child can be wiped out so much and become difficult to um, go to school or perform at school. It's difficult at home with their brothers and sisters. And, uh, you know, for them to go and regress um, is um, shows that this child uh, likely had what we call processing issues. That is, when they would hear things, see things, they couldn't process very fast. Uh, and the neuropsych test sometimes will pick it up that they might be just as bright if you uh, give them time or work through it. But they, you know, this day-to-day -day moments like this are uh, really debilitating. And because the Lyme also hits the, uh, the neurotransmitters involved in psychiatric illnesses, they'll often have yes to anxiety, yes to depression, yes to irritability, yes to rage. There's even some people that have uh, suicidal feelings. They may not have suicidal ideation, but they, their despair can be pretty impressive. So uh, I thought uh, the authors did a great job of showing you um, how sick these children can be. And, and that's why I really wanted to start with that. And, and just to wrap that up, the child was treated with multiple oral and IV antibiotics, antibiotics over 30 months, and she, as a result, experienced complete remission and remains symptom-free. I just want people to understand that how broad those two ends of the spectrum are. It's it's just amazing that we can get somebody this sick and still be able to treat them and lose all of those symptoms as well. Yeah, a lot of doctors uh, and family members and moms, dads, different people are here that, oh, 21 days or 30 days of treatment's going to work, and which is true if you get a rash. Um, some people get better quite quickly. But uh, this doctor group um, said, hey, we're going to treat clinically. We're not going to go to IVIG uh, automatically. We're going to try a different oral and intravenous. Um, according to the uh, record is that because of the immune issues, they elected to add intravenous immune globulin at the same time. And so it ended up being a hybrid treatment based on clinical judgment. And by persistence, uh, working with the doctor, they actually got the remission they were open for. So can you imagine that, uh, that this seven-year-old went from how quite sick, uh, looks like they had some relapses, but eventually she was able to have her, her life back and uh, participate in school. So it's a, it was nice that the authors shared that story because sometimes as a doctor, as a parent, even, a, even um, with a child, the child is fearful that they're not gonna get better, the parents are worried, sick. It's nice that the authors shared uh, this case and what they were able to accomplish. Well, and, and I hope that, you know, one of the things that comes as a result of this type of study and, and the work that you're doing with your book is that physicians, parents, and children all can see that there's, they can have a light at the end of the tunnel when uh, for so many, 
uh, in, in all three of the stakeholder groups, doctor, patient, and, and parents, uh, it must often seem like, boy, oh boy, this is dark and it doesn't look good. Well, I often bring the child in, or typically do, because uh, when you're that sick, whether it's seven or 10, they have to understand the illness. They have to understand the goals. Um, sometimes they'll have such a flare-up at different times that they're scared, they're, they're unnerved, they're, they get discouraged. And so I, I think it's important in my practice that I have the mom there, the dad, the child, uh, and we do a lot more counseling. Instead of working on what supplement, what vitamin, what to do is that you know hard work of working through that child's issues with that child in there. You know, even though we always say, "Well, the mom and dad make the decision," but I I find that that child's participation helps a great deal with the with their uh, understanding of disease and getting better. And, and you know, I can't state strongly enough that people really recognize that, you know, when you take the time to enroll the child, especially take the time to enroll the parents about what's going on and why it reduces fear. It creates a situation where all of a sudden the child, the patient and, and the parents and other stakeholders feel like they have agency in how this gets resolved. Uh, it's, I think it's really important versus just kind of, I think in the in the old days it was, well, you know, take this and I'll see you in two weeks or uh, I'll do a quick follow-up with you, that sort of thing. That's a big shift in, in approach, isn't it? Yeah, I think uh, uh, you're captured quite well. Um, but as a doctor is that, you know, it's so easy to just do 21 days, 30 days, send them off to the psychiatrist, send them off to somebody else. But when you're a doctor and you can you know go out of the norm and work with uh, with other doctors who work uh, with these colleagues there's such joy uh, for the doctor to um, take somebody and and like this and get them better and uh, and you can imagine the parents delight that the child has made the transition I should mention that that children don't forget this period of time Maybe they might have a gap like she had at the beginning where she wasn't sure who her mom was. But you know, as they get better, they, I think that they understand it and, they, and they've grown. So I've had a lot of children who, um, who have done really well. They've graduated from middle school, high school, college, gone on, got married, had kids. And so I'd say, you know, many of them will communicate with me. Their parents communicate that... Uh, that they've been well for years, but still, that was a rough time. And so I thought that's why these authors, uh, credit and kudos to them to uh, be able to capture what what I do in my practice, what others do. I think to just reiterate your point just a little more, you know, none of us wants to have adversity in our lives, but as the parent of a, a teenager at the time who presented with ulcerative colitis, uh, you know, being able to focus on the long game, hey, dude, we're going to get through this, we're going to figure it out, and to see him 10 years later now with no symptoms, he looks back on those times 
because we were in it together, we had agency, we worked with the doctors, I think his sense of agency in life is much better than it would be. Adversity, when handled properly on all counts, really can make a huge difference, can it? Oh, much. And so that's why it's, um, it's you know, it's actually amazing how a little thing like a something a tick, uh, whether it's Lyme or some of the co-infections, what it can do to somebody's immune system. So I find children, you know, they'll have their own pattern that's more exaggerated than adults. So that's why you hear these neuropsych issues like a Niska girl. But they'll often have other issues, like autonomic is pretty common, where they have... Um, you know, lightheadedness, dizziness, uh, and it's uh, it's uh, amazing how um, that how many other issues that they'll have, and and sometimes I'll sit down with a mom and dad. You know, sometimes the mom and dad they're they've been split, they've been divorced, they haven't uh, been seen eye to eye. But when you see a a, a mom, a dad, and the child, um, that realization that. It's not just one issue. It's not just ADHD. It's not just a panic. There's a a broad range where you look at it at one time, and so it's it's important to kind of lay out the whole story, so one can like dig in and uh, and take it all on. They all seem to be interrelated. That once the body responds to that tick, the whole immune system is busy, and so all the symptoms kind of come and go. There, there's something called a Herxheimer reaction where the immune system can take off because of diet, up because of stress, because of change in antibiotics. And it's a, every time you get a flare-up like that, it's pretty scary for the child uh, as well as the parent. And the Herxheimer reaction is kind of the idea of one step forward, two steps back initially. Is that a fair way to, to portray it? Yeah, it's a, there's ups and downs anyway with the illness, you know, big swings. And Dr. Herxheimer came along and said, well, when they treat syphilis, as you uh, break up the syphilis, the bacteria, all of the protein can cause big flare-ups. That was treatment for syphilis that was noted. And so Dr. Herxheimer got uh, recognition for that work. Can you imagine a child and a parent uh, seeing uh, such a huge flare-up? And it just doesn't seem like you get one flare-up. Um, it could be profound, scary, uh, unnerving. And some doctors, when they see a, a major flare-up like that, a Herxheimer reaction, will you know, get nervous. They'll say, oh, off, off antibiotics, uh, let's send to something else. And so... Uh, I try to at least uh, let the parents know that Herxheimer, it, this flare-up is not to be something to run the other way. Is it be ready, uh, understand it, try to get through it, and then and then move forward. And so, I also want to mention that a child, you know, even if they might be getting better, their behavior is better, they they're been more active, they're doing things. They're the one living with it. So even if the parent sees it, this huge flare-up is pretty scary to a child. And so they can say, well, uh, as long as I have those flare-ups or Herxheimer reactions, uh, I'm, I'm 
not very happy. And so it's a, how do you get that child to steer through those tough times and taken on a few hits, a few uh, flare-ups like that. And so it's a, I think that it's a, a, a team effort for the parent with the doctor. And, and the importance of just knowing that that's a possibility. So I have a way to contextualize it without having to wait to see the doctor, that sort of thing, but to know, oh, this is what my doctor told me might happen, or the parent being able to say that to the child, uh, so important in terms of having a way to understand where they are and, and that and that it's okay. That I think of the idea of vaccines where we, we get the vaccine and, and we may present with some of those symptoms lightly and you think, what's going on? Oh, that's that's the medicine at work. And it's basically the same idea, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is. a. But I wanted to mention another thing. Somewhere in the book I write uh, that these reactions are bad enough that even though Dr. Herxheimer was, was named after it, uh, there isn't enough words in English language to describe uh, a major flare-up. You could say, well, I have a flare-up. I'm getting worse. I feel crappy. But they've changed the name and changed Herxheimer to a verb. It's just like Google. They changed uh, from a, a big company to I Google as a verb. Uh, they often use the word Herx to reflect uh, what they're experiencing. So... Uh, or they're unherxy. And so I think that, that that's, a, that's a word you might hear. So some doctors frown on herxing because you're not supposed to come up with a verb. But until they come up with a better word in the English language is that I often find patients uh, understand it better uh, and communicate better if they call it a herx reaction. But herxing is, uh, is probably more descriptive to them. Let us move to uh, chapter six, which focuses primarily on children with Lyme disease, actually the title of the chapter. And we're going to run through uh, about four or five topics, and then we'll come back and finish up these topics, which I think are so important for kids and for parents and doctors to recognize. So let's talk about, we've talked about a little bit, but the first topic in that chapter is that Lyme disease can interfere with learning. Talk a little bit about your experience with that and, and what you've seen to give people an understanding of the impact that Lyme can have with learning. Well, you know, we've, we've been talking about a single case, but Taser, this author in 2001, described the same issues at 20 kids, and they were aged 8 to 16. So it's always good to look at the one case. It's also good to look at a broader perspective. And he, they found the same issues that this girl had, you know, marked fatigue, joint pain, severe headaches, irritability, depression, short-term memory problems, schoolwork deterioration. So just the very fact that they were noticing school 94% had schoolwork deterioration in their study group, um, shows that others have seen it. There was also brain fog, neck pain, insomnia, distractibility, word finding, um, sensory hyperacusis was in there. Uh, I should mention that is that because the immune system is busy, every neurotransmitter is up, so that's why they often have every mood button to high. 
But they also have the sensory. They often have sensitivity to light, to sound, to heat, to cold, to touch. Uh, And they might uh, find that they're not going to the doctor for that. But as soon as you uh, discuss it, then they become aware that part of their being annoyed, part of them having troubles is because uh, they just can't stand any of the senses when they're turned up to high. And when you apply those kinds of symptoms to trying to be in a learning environment as a kid, that those two don't go together well, do they? No, it's, uh, you know, we're so used to uh, nurturing a child that's healthy and doing well. And, you know, in this case is that a tick comes along and changes up the trajectory for a child and, uh, it's, uh, you know, when you put this kind of article together in this book and you realize, gosh, that I'm not the only child with 10 problems. I don't, my um, uh, other children are okay. But it's uh, this realization that only the list of issues, the how hard it is on that child is, uh, is just a reminder that this is not a new issue. It's been around for some time. This article is already 21 years ago. Uh, and so a lot of those children are already grown up. So it's a whole generation of kids in trouble, but the next generation is coming ahead. So this book uh, does have a, the capacity to at least remind people that there's an awful lot of uh, doctors who've been writing on this subject that uh, can help you understand uh, what your child's going through. When you are meeting with a, a parent and their child who's really got major symptoms this way. What are some of the things that you talk to them about in terms of what they can do when they're at school, how they can cope with trying to learn and also dealing with these symptoms? Well, this same article by Tager got into some of those issues, you know, that there was troubles uh, growing in the classroom, uh, struggling socially, unable to connect with the peers or participants. That's as if they can go. Uh, and so I think if we get to the next topic on this area is that that besides the fight to try to get better, sometimes it doesn't go very fast. Like this topic two, there's a feeling of being ineffective. There's um, They were talking about 25 kids uh, with visual memory problems, delayed verbal memory, recall, which is a problem if you're going to be a kid. So because that affects education, is I regularly get involved with the parent in this uh, 504 section of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. So even though that was 1973, it's been helpful to work with the work with the parents uh, and work with the school. And so some of the examples on that topic were uh, to have shorter school days or tests that aren't timed, um, some different alternative testing methods instead of just that one uh, written test, separate or quieter testing locations. Sometimes the sensory overload means that they do better if they can maybe go to their own room, but something needs to be worked out there's also modified home instruction programs. Some kids are, are doing part or all their work from home. And uh, 
And then also eliminating unnecessary requirements. Sometimes as a school accumulates more and more requirements, um, but uh, often uh, those are important. But is there something that can get uh, put in a back burner or some other uh, options to try to get the get the education that, that you want your child to have uh, done? And the thing I think we should really point out is that for doctors and parents in particular, there are these accommodations that are nationwide 504 plans, individual education plans that can really help a, a, a child to deal with these learning issues because of the symptoms from Lyme disease and really want doctors to encourage parents and parents to encourage school staff to be sure that they understand the depth of the issue of the issue, which your book and the articles that you refer to does a fabulous job with, and really advocate for this kid. I can't imagine that there aren't many things more important than a parent advocating for their child in these situations, especially when we're dealing with an institution like a school how important that is to that child to be able to move forward in a way that serves them and in the face of these terrible symptoms. Yeah, I have uh, children that can't attend school and haven't attended it for months or years. And so as they get better is that these uh, 504 plans have gotten fairly sophisticated and instead of dismissing the kid or saying the kid's uh, uh, antisocial or or too sick is that it's a little more organized way to take that child from where they're at to engage them in the school or and and uh, get them back on track with their uh, their program. So I have plenty of uh, adolescents where uh, it, if they just stick with the treatment is that uh, they can get back on track, uh, get their education going, and graduate on time. You know they. You know, the feeling is, oh, well, they, they're never going to grow. They're not going to get the uh, emotional problems uh, under control. They can't uh, learn, but uh, that's not true. You know, there's so many kids that, uh, that got lost in the system, and if they get back on track, if it's a tick-borne illness, uh, you can uh, um, get the, work with these kind of programs and work with the parents and get them uh, back on schedule. Nothing like getting a kid back on schedule uh, so they can graduate with their peers. Let's wrap up with this. Three questions. What do you want physicians to hear about dealing with kids, especially young kids, that are having these symptoms and in this situation? What do you think the most important message is for a, a physician? Well, I think that that physicians um, are running into these patients, and they're um, you know doing what they normally do, which is refer them to other specialists, and then other specialists take care of their part of it. But the pediatricians or the primary care, the physician assistants, nurse practitioners who are all seeing these, um, somewhere somewhere there's a patient that touches them, and and they have to get started. So. This kind of book, you know, it's so heavy laden with cases that are published is that you don't have to feel alone. This kind of um, 
book reminds you of what's been published, individual cases, and so it's helpful for you as a doctor, but uh, also I find that that there's a learning curve for parents and their children, and so this uh, this goes a long ways toward taking a new uh, parent uh, and, or a child and introduce them to topics, you know, because it's one page at a time, a new topic, a new area, and it doesn't take very long for you to realize that, hey, you're not alone as a child. You're not alone as a parent. And this uh, section and the, the earlier section on pandas um, breaks it down into something that uh, that can make, make it work for you. I think the other thing that is really important to point out is that each of these sections is brief. We're not asking, you're not asking parents to read 25 pages on a specific case or that sort of thing. But what you always do is reference the source material, but really distill it down into a way that I can relatively quickly, probably in, in 10 minutes on the, the children with, uh, with Lyme disease, have a good overview of what to expect, what kind of resources are out there, how I should be advocating for my child, that sort of thing. And I think that's so important in today's day and age. So I congratulate you on on this approach. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I It just reminded me of the process of, uh, of there's a scientist out there writing a paper, but that paper by the time it's published is quite extensive, if you could even get it from the library. Um, so that over the last uh, several years, I've uh, taken article after article that I read that I think is important to my patients, my patients' families, and I distill it down to a blog. So I have 600 blogs already, but a blog kind of gets lost. You know, after a little while, there's the next topic, next topic. And so this book takes that article, the blog goes to, to 500 words, but each of these brings that paper down to maybe 100 words, 150 words, so you can you can start the process. You can read more of the blog. You can read more of the article and uh, and go further once you see a topic that's of interest to you. It's it's a brilliant way to do it, and I, I just I think it's there are going to be so many parents, so many young adults, kids, and hopefully uh, an equal number of of physicians looking at this and recognizing some of the things they may have been overlooking or how to make sense out of what they're seeing and uh, and then be able to drill down further and further is, is a, a fabulous way to do it. So very nice job. Dr. Daniel Cameron, you're the author of An Expert's Guide on Navigating Lyme Disease. And uh, you can find out more about Dr. Cameron at his website. And all of those credits are at the end of this video. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this and really help all the stakeholders involved with Lyme disease. And thank you for leading that discussion. I enjoyed it. My pleasure.